Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. There's a pitch swung on, fly ball, center field, easy out. Gary Ward is there and he takes it. You're listening to Season 5 of Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Walner. And we're waiting word on the President of the United States at George Washington Hospital. Uh, Mr. Reagan, as we saw him pop up and sit back down, is right in the hospital and uh, we get the story finally uh, wrapped up. All of the executives are on the dais applauding the President's entry a few moments ago. The launch team has been briefed on the way in which a halt can be called to the countdown. The launch events are being controlled by the ground launch sequencer now that has been initiated. I had a plan for how episode 5 was going to be structured and what would be included in it, but I'm changing that plan to tell you some things I've just recently learned, as recent as today. This puts me way outside of my comfort zone. I like things neat and tidy, done ahead of time. I don't like stress and last-minute scrambling. I'd make a pretty lousy daily news reporter, but here goes. You and I both have been patient and eager to learn more about the mysterious boyfriend, the last known person to have seen Barbara Cotton alive. The guy who said he watched Barbara walk from Recreation Park from the Plainsman Building. The quote-unquote boyfriend that none of Barbara's friends knew about or ever met. The boyfriend who wasn't a boyfriend. A young oil worker who later died in a jail cell, reportedly by suicide, and yet has either been cleared or at least never been fingered as the person responsible for whatever did happen to Barbara. I've told you that I figured out his name. Since then, I've been speaking with some of his childhood friends, and finally, just a couple of days ago, after a lot of searching, I spoke with his sister on the phone. And today, I spoke with a second sister of this mystery boyfriend. I'm going to play these interviews for you now. I'm going to tell you his name, where he grew up, and more. But most importantly, not only do sisters have good insight on what kind of a person their brother is, One of these sisters was the last person to speak to him before he died. He called home just before his death, possibly right from jail. This sister has never spoken with any media before, and despite being the last person to speak to him, she has never been spoken to by any law enforcement agency ever in the 40 years since this case has been ongoing. Not because she is unwilling to speak, but because nobody before me has ever simply asked. After these interviews with these sisters of the previously unnamed boyfriend, I will also offer that unconventional suggestion or recommendation to Barbara's siblings about how they might learn more of the facts about their sister and the whole investigation. Those other things I'd planned for this episode will get pushed to a sixth or update episode, which will have to wait a few days, maybe even a week. As you will see, after this episode, we might all need a short rest from this better search for Barbara. And, regarding those future episodes, I do want to say that today, after episode 3 was released, I got a phone call from the Williston Police Department. 
Captain Stephen Gutnecht, head of investigations, wanted to let me know that they do want to be involved and would love for this case to get solved. He also informed me and apologized that due to an oversight, he did not take note of my email with the questions I sent them. But he has located the email now, and he's put me in touch with an investigator on the case. So that's good news, and hopefully we'll get some more concrete answers to some of the many questions we have at this point. Because how would nobody know about this point? I don't even remember the police coming to the house, to be honest with you. But back then, it was a popular hangout for the kids that got into trouble. In 1994, he was charged with possession of a firearm by a felon. Come on, it's been 40 years. I still miss her to this day. And then we'd all be hanging out together now instead of doing a podcast about her. She was, I don't know, one of the kindest people I knew. Her boyfriend watched her walk to Recreation Park, which is five blocks from her home. So are you telling me that law enforcement never interviewed you back then? Never. But mostly gentle and kind is what I remember about her. She's not going to, you're going to run away with no money. Standing at the corner of Main Street and 4th in Williston, North Dakota. And I feel guilty that we didn't do enough early on. Barbara never arrived at her destination and has never been heard from again. I don't remember them asking any questions, and that's just the part where she was always chalked up to be a runaway. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. The name of the mysterious boyfriend was Stacy DeMar Werder. He was born in 1959 in Northern California and grew up in a small town named Montague near the town of Wairika along Interstate 5. Wairika is just 20 miles south of the Oregon state line. He went to Wairika High School, was in the class of 1978, and was apparently a straight-A student and extremely intelligent. Before I located his sister, I had spoken with a couple of his schoolmates earlier in the week. Here is one of those schoolmates. Yeah, my name is Debbie Dillon, and I grew up uh, in Wairika, California. I moved there when I was eight. And I went to elementary school and high school there. And I do remember Stacy. Um, I don't have a lot of memories of him, but um, I remember that he was a smaller guy, um, small, small in stature, um, and that he was always a nice guy. So he was always a smaller kid, and... And he got picked on because of that. I found two photographs of Stacy Werder in the Wairika High School yearbooks. 
In his sophomore photo, when he would have been about 16 years old, he looks like he's about 11 or 12. It's a black and white photo. He looks like an all-American kid with unparted, short, dark hair, a good chin, dark eyes, and rather big ears. He's not smiling exactly. I can't tell if the photographer shot the photo a millisecond too soon, or if Stacy Werder just isn't interested in whipping up a smile on this morning in 1976. He's maybe not looking into the lens, but right through it somehow, as if he's contemplating how a combination of light and emulsion on the film somehow all adds up to a photograph. He is perhaps more lost in thought than he is present in the moment. In his junior year photo, he has matured somewhat. He looks much more his age. His hair is a smidgen longer, yet still short, still no part in it. He has straight bangs that stop an inch above his eyebrows. In this photo, Stacy Werder is very present, a beaming smile, revealing not only straight teeth, but also gums and lines in his face that almost create dimples. On this morning, Stacy Werder looks to be about as happy as any American boy can be. His future is incredibly bright, and he seems to know it. Here is another schoolmate and friend of the family, Kathy Sanders White. But Stacy was always just kind of laid back. He was pretty quiet. He never really got into trouble. Ms. White told me that she recalls running into Stacy's brother one day. I was talking to him one day, and he was telling me that they received a phone call that uh, Stacy hung himself in jail. And I was like, what, Stacy? And they, he says, yeah, he says, that's bullshit. He said, there is no way. He was never depressed or, you know, anything like that. Over the last few weeks, when I've been speaking with Barbara Cotton's siblings and friends, we've done a lot of speculating. Because honestly, that's what we have been left with. Questions and speculations about a 40-year-old mystery. A lot of speculation has been about this mysterious boyfriend, now known as Stacy Werder, and who he was working with. The story goes he was on a crew in the oil country. At times we've wondered how could this guy have disappeared, Barbara, without others knowing about it. Here is Sandy Evanson speculating about life on one of these crews. You're riding with four to six people in a pickup usually or in a van or more, going from one job in what, at one oil field site to the next, staying at one motel room to the next. He would have not been able to hide Barb out like that. Now, could he have done something to her and then, you know, hit her? But that would have been hard, too, because I don't believe he had a vehicle at the time, being he was riding around in a crew vehicle going from town to town. So, you know, what would he have done with her? And we've wondered about his suicide, which I can tell you took place three months after Barbara disappeared. Was it a suicide? Could Stacy have been killed or silenced by others actually responsible for Barbara's disappearance? Maybe that potential fourth person at dinner that night. Or if Stacy actually did kill himself, what did that tell us? If he did kill himself... Would it have been because of a guilty conscience or would it have been because he felt guilty because he didn't walk her home? Because I know if I was a guy and I didn't walk my girlfriend home and she turned up missing, I would never forgive myself. I would, that would be something that haunted me all the days of my life. Or something in between, I thought. Maybe he had good intentions with Barbara, really liked her, but then introduced her to the wrong people. 
people on a crew and witnessed or maybe even took part in, I don't know, a sex crime. And so he was both responsible for getting Barbara into a bad situation and not rescuing her from it. That would add up to a huge amount of guilt for a lot of people. These were the images and thoughts I had in my head when I called Stacy's sister. That of Stacy Werder, a bookworm, highly intelligent, a nice guy, an oil-field professional making big bucks in North Dakota and Montana. One of the first things I told her was that I'd heard from others in their hometown that Stacy was very smart and a really nice guy. His sister told me that they only got it half right. He was smart. Really, really smart. He cut school a lot, and he was still a straight-A student. He used to get in trouble, and I, but a lot of that just had to do with the fact that he was just terribly bored in school, because he was really, really intelligent. This is Laura, Stacy Werder's sister. Laura was born the same year as Barbara Cotton, 1965, so she was about 15 when her brother Stacy died in that jail cell in Montana. I can remember um, my mom going up to the school and wanting to talk to the principal, and the principal didn't have time for my mom. And my mom was kind of um, she could she could get very upset, and and he had Stacy had gotten kicked out for drinking at school or something. He because he was already um, having he had alcohol problems when he was still in high school. I don't know how young he started drinking, but. We've heard these stories before about highly intelligent kids. They become extremely bored and restless and get themselves into trouble. The world just moves way too slowly for them. Laura agreed that her brother Stacy could be very nice. However... So, so everybody who knew him might have been like, yeah, he's this nice, quiet guy, but like I said, he could be. But then he could just, in an instant, and I'm not kidding, I mean in an instant, go from being this just nice guy to lights on and nobody's home. I could just go on and on about the instances with Stacy and the fighting going on. I mean, he beat my brother with a two by four one time. All siblings have quarrels, of course, but Laura had no shortage of stories about her brother Stacy, including her very first memory of him hurting her. I think that I was probably in about kindergarten and we were all playing hide and go seek and I went going through into the shed and he hit me in the face with a baseball bat because he thought I was my boldest brother. I can remember thinking, okay, it's all right since you were trying to hit Eddie, I won't tell on you. Some of you listening, unlike myself, grew up with brothers, maybe a whole bunch of brothers, and you might be chuckling to yourself. A brother whacking another with a two-by-four. Been there, done that, boys will be boys. And many a mother of sons have spent plenty of time in emergency rooms while stitches were being sewn. However, this was something different. Stacy's behavior was unpredictable. Was He was just like, just happy and just we're all having fun. And just like, just like somebody flipped a switch and his, you know, like his pupils just kind of dilated and he just just started all talking all weird a feud state i would call it you know and sometimes they would last a while days he had that's major issues that's for sure but my parents never addressed it when laura was 10 years old her brother stacy told her that he heard voices she asked him if he meant inside his head 
And he told me that no, they weren't voices in his head. They were voices like my voice on the outside that he could hear and that sometimes they would tell him to do bad things. Bad things. Laura says these schoolmates and kids around town only saw or remember one side of Stacy Werder, the quiet, smart kid in class, the nice Stacy Werder who did not do bad things. That wasn't the person he really was. The guy he really was was more than just a rambunctious brother. The guy he really was burned down the family house when Laura was in sixth grade. Tried to burn it down with my sister in it. Thankfully, the sister was not harmed in this fire. Some of the things that he liked to do um, could kill you. He enjoyed choking and suffocating. Choking and suffocating. Me and my sister. He thought that was cool. And then there was Laura's birthday party when she turned nine years old. Um, him and my dad got into a fight, and again, I, I couldn't tell you what the fight was over, but he choked my dad with an extension cord on the couch till he was blue in the face and almost died. After Stacy Werder finished high school in 1978, he joined the Navy. He wasn't with them for very long, however, because while I don't know what kind of trouble he might have gotten into, his condition was finally spotted and diagnosed. They discharged him because they gave him a Section 8 because my brother was paranoid schizophrenic. After being discharged from the Navy, Stacy returned home to the Wairika area, where he ultimately had another run-in with his father, who told Stacy to leave and never return. And so Stacy Werder did leave. He hit the road, a road that would at some point take him to Williston, North Dakota, and then on to Montana. He did ultimately return to Wairika, California, however, in a coffin. He's buried there at Evergreen Cemetery. Written on his headstone are the words, on the road again. As it turns out, Stacy Werder, this mysterious man we've been looking for, the guy that Barbara Cotton somehow met one day, he was not some kind of trained oil professional who had set out with the destination of Williston. He was a drifter without a car. No, he, he hitchhiked everywhere he went. He went around all over the place for for a while. I mean... I know he and I think my brother Mark went down to Texas together and they, you know, and then Mark came back because he didn't want to be out there running around with Stacy no more or something. I don't know, but, but he went all over the country. So I have no idea how he ended up up there. If he was part of an oil crew when Barbara met him, he was more likely some kind of day labor or manual labor, unskilled and untrained, just some temporary gig he picked up on the road. Yeah, he. I, I know for sure he was picking up small jobs here and there. I can remember him talking about being in Canada at one point and working for some people. So, yeah, that's that's what he did. I mean, I can't imagine 
what he'd have been qualified to do on on an oil job. I mean, I just I I would wouldn't even know. I I can't imagine. I don't know if this thought makes any sense, but if Stacy Werder was responsible for Barbara's death. Somehow it feels even worse knowing Williston wasn't even his destination in the first place and that he had somehow just passed through town as a drifter with no real plan. Somehow this randomness just makes Barbara's disappearance or whatever happened to her feel so much worse. And I say if he was responsible for Barbara's death, but this is what his sister Laura said. And, and I've, and I've got to tell you, I've always believed that he, that he hurt her and then during one of them, like not premeditated because he wouldn't have done something like that, but just like one of them fuges he went in and then just he finally came to and was like, what the hell have I done? And then killed himself for it. I really believe that. I completely believe that. And like I said, so does my sister. We've talked about this over the years. And Laura's opinion about this is not only based on her experiences with her brother, Stacy, but also due to a phone conversation she had with him right before he died. She was the last person to speak with him. In fact, I suspect that this phone call might have been from jail the day he was arrested in the town of Malta, Montana, on July 15, 1981. The article I found stated the following. Jail suicide victim identified. Malta, Montana. A man who apparently hanged himself in the Malta jail last week was identified Tuesday as Stacy DeMar Werder, 21, of California. Werder was found dead in his cell at about 8.30 a.m. on July 16th after apparently using a pair of jail-issued coveralls to kill himself. Phillips County Attorney William McLean said a coroner's inquest will investigate the death and a coroner's jury has viewed the body. No date has been set in the inquest hearing to determine whether the death was in fact a suicide. Werder had been jailed on the night of July 15 on a charge of disorderly conduct after an incident at a local theater. The following is what Stacy Werder told his sister on his last phone call home. Again, no law enforcement agency has ever spoken with Laura about this. She's never been asked, never contacted. And, for reasons that I will explain in a bit, even though she told her own mother about this conversation, Laura doubts that this information ever reached law enforcement, or for that matter, Louise Cotton and her family. The temperatures that week, mid-July 1981, in Wairika, California, reached 37 degrees Celsius, 99 degrees Fahrenheit, Laura was about 15 years old at home in Montague when the phone rang. Um, it was, it may have been the day before he killed himself or maybe even the same day that he called. And it was a collect call, so I accepted it. And um, he, he says to me, he says, um, I'm coming home. And I went, oh, well, okay, you're coming home. Um, I got a dog for Christmas, and, and she's, if you, if you come at night, she's going to bite you. And he says to me, he's like, no, sis, it, it won't matter. And I'm like, yeah, it will, because she will bite you. And he's like, the way I'm coming home, it won't matter.
And then he says to me, he's like, I need you to tell mom I love her. And I, and I want you to tell her that I'm sorry for what I did. I'm damn sorry for what I did. And then he hung up on me. Let's take a short, quiet, and restful breather from this. I'll be back in 90 seconds with more from my conversation with Laura. I want to talk about mothers for a second, two deceased mothers, Barbara's mother, Louise, and Stacy Werder's mother, whose name was Cynthia. Both lost a child in 1981, but in different ways. Cynthia's son left Wairika, California, and came back in a coffin. Louise's daughter went to dinner in downtown Williston and just never came home. One mother got answers immediately. The other never got any, ever. One got to mourn. The other never could. And one thing that might surprise you about these two women is that, although they never met, they spoke to each other on the phone more than once. I just, I can remember mom talking about it, and she would talk to Barbara's mom on the phone, and I don't know how long she stayed in contact with her, but I, I recall them talking about it. I, I never heard anybody, like, accuse my brother, but... I can only imagine that Louise was looking for answers to what happened to her daughter, and so somehow, perhaps with the help of the police, she got the phone number of Stacy's parents. I imagine Louise desperately looking for answers or clues to what happened to Barbara, asking Stacy's mother, Do you think your son is capable of hurting my daughter? Please, can you help me? My mother would have never, ever, I mean, her, her, sons could do no wrong they're the golden children i just don't know how else to put it she just she would have never believed it i mean she she didn't believe he committed suicide and i i mean i do that's what the phone call was about it was i'm gonna kill myself and now i imagine that louise never got any kind of honest response from cynthia that Stacy's mother was unable or unwilling to go there to tell Louise things like, well, he almost strangled my husband to death once. And, as I hinted earlier, it's quite possible that no law enforcement agency ever heard about Stacy's last phone call home. For one, nobody ever spoke with Laura, not back then and not in recent years by any cold case investigator. 
And although Laura told her mother, or tried to, it sounds like Cynthia was not receptive, not reasonable. Yeah, that was one of my questions for you. If your mother, what did your mother believe or choose to believe? And uh, uh, it sounds, so if I'm imagining now, so your mom is talking to Barbara's mother. Doesn't sound like in any way your mother would let Barbara's mother believe that Stacy was responsible for this. No, I don't. I don't think so because she just wouldn't have believed it herself. I mean, like she never wanted to believe he committed suicide, even though. So I got to ask this one more time, just to verify. So you have never been spoken to by law enforcement about this? No, not no, at all. Not and, even. You know, until you mentioned it in your email, I, I never even went there, and, and then I kind of wondered, like, why we were never talked to. I mean, I was the last one to talk to him. You're right. You're the last person to ever talk to Stacy Warder. Uh-huh. And no law enforcement agency has ever spoken to you about this. No, not at all. <laughs> it, and, and frankly, my mom didn't even want to hear about the conversation. She didn't want to hear what I had to say. I mean, she just she just didn't want to hear that I thought the conversation was just way weird. So if law enforcement talked to your mom, there's no way they got that, that she would never tell them that. No. And and I just, I find it really hard to believe that they talked to her because again, if someone accused one of her, her son after he was dead of doing something like that, oh my gosh, she would have wigged and everybody in the County would have known. Yeah. And he, can you just repeat what he said on the phone to you again? Just so I got it right. He, he said to me after we had the conversation about my dog that, he wanted me to tell our mom that he was sorry for what he did and that he was damn sorry for what he did. Mm. That, and, and he told me to tell mom that. Wow. The whole conversation, even at the time, felt really weird to me. I mean, like, I hung up the phone and was like, what in the hell was that about? Do you ever ask, uh, in regards to what happened to Barbara, did you ever have a conversation with that, like with your mom, like the specifics of... The last time she was seen, or how did... Oh, no. Oh, no, that wouldn't be a subject I would have ever broached with my mother, even as an adult. I mean, she she, she, take, she takes the... Took the death of her children really hard, so she... Yeah, she's just not even reasonable when it comes to talking about my dead brothers. And that's why I think that the police would have talked to her. I would have heard about it, because she would have got so angry if somebody would have accused him of doing something like that. And she was very vocal about these things, so I think I would have heard that. I've always believed that he had something to do with it. Like I said, he was the last one to see her, and, and I, I imagine he was he was probably the last one she seen, too. I was told there were FBI agents in Oregon just a year and a half ago interviewing someone about this case, and they obviously didn't take the drive down to Wairika. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah, because nobody ever talked to me. It just seems like that, you know, their family should have been told what he was really like. What Stacy Werder was really like. Laura has just told us a little bit about what he was like, according to her. Today, I spoke with Stacy's other sister, Shelley. Shelley has something she wants to say about her brother, too. I told you that this episode puts me out of my comfort zone because I'm putting it together all last minute by my standards. This episode also makes me uncomfortable because Shelley's memories of her brother 
are, well, you'll see in a second, they might make you feel uncomfortable too. I even questioned if I should be putting this in the podcast or not, and the reason I'm going to is because Shelley herself wants me to. When I started out on this season, I think a part of me was hoping that this would somehow help the Cotton family, Barbara's siblings and friends. I had no idea that there were other people, other families out there, looking for some kind of, I guess, closure. And so it is partially for Shelley's sake, and by her own request, that I'm including this in the podcast. She believes it will help her, and she wants to help the Cotton family understand who Barbara Cotton ran into in Williston. So, here we go. You remember that Laura said that Stacy Warder burned down the house, and another sister was there. That sister was Shelley, and here is her recollection of that experience and other things. I've redacted, muted, and shortened this conversation quite a bit, including some of my comments to her while she's talking. It sounds like I'm just sitting there not saying anything, but not true. I've muted most of it so we can focus on what her words were. I was home, stayed home from school, and Stacy was home. And I remember being in bed and him coming in and sitting beside me. And he reached down and grabbed my and said, I better do what he says or he'd kill me. Well, I told him no, and I fought really hard, and I got away. And I remember running down the hallway and something hitting me in the back. Later on, I found out it was a pair of scissors that he threw at me. So... I went running down the street, and there was some duplexes about two fields over from where I lived. And one of them was empty, sir. And from the grace of God, that door was unlocked because he was chasing me with a butcher knife. And all I heard him say was, I'm going to kill you. Where'd you go? And I'm hiding in this room. And I don't know how long I was there. But I finally was able to get out of there. And I went down to my neighbors, this old baby. And I called my mom and told her to get home quick because Stacy was going crazy. I told the baby I'm going to step out. And I'm going to see if he left. Well, I'm walking out to the street and I look up my house is on fire. And he's walking the other way towards town. And I yelled out, our house is on fire. He goes, well, who do you think did it? And he just kept walking. I walked this out of my life. I have been seeing the counselors, and I've been dealing with all this shit for a long time. Did any police ever talk to you about Barbara, missing Barbara Cotton? No. I never got a call from nobody. The only time I ever heard anything was my mom said, yes, Stacy's girlfriend's mom called me and said something 
about her missing and that no one had seen her. And that's the only thing I ever heard about it. So and you guys didn't talk about it anymore, huh? You never had more... And do you know if your mother was ever spoken to by law enforcement about Barbara? No. No, she would have told us. Let me ask you this question, too. <clears throat> I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask... Do you... Th- you grew up with Stacy Warder. He was three years older than you. Yes. Do you think it's possible that he murdered Barbara Cotton? Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes. I'm all, oh, yes. I'm all positive that he did. When my mom said she was missing, that's the first thing that popped in my head. And, sir, I want to tell you something. That picture of Barbara when she was, what, 14? My sister and I, you can put our faces together and smush them, and we look just like her. Yes, we look identical. I think this is for, uh, this is good, though, that you're talking about it, I think. Yes. I hope so, anyway. Yes. Yeah, that's what we want. We want closure for the family. Some kind of closure. I know it won't be closed all the way because he's gone. And I wish to God he wasn't gone. I wish he would have had to go through all this and and suffer. But no, he couldn't suffer. And I believe he hung himself because he did something to her. I just don't know what else to ask you. I mean, I know All right, I, after I get off the phone, I'll probably think of a bunch of things. Well, I wish- I'll tell you what. If you can think of anything and you need to talk to me, you're more than welcome to call me anytime. Just tell the family, would you please, what kind of guy he was? I will. I will. It... it- it's all right, sir. It's good for me to get this out, and if I can help that family, I I sure hope I did. I I hope I did some good. Let's take a short breather, shall we? I'll be back. Thank you. 
And now back to Stacy's other sister, Laura. You know, I've met um, Barbara's sister. Their mother's passed away and I've talked to, well, I should say I've talked to them on the phone. They're just really kind, you know, nice people trying to find out what happened to their sister. Um, Anything you want to say to them? I don't know. It's, it's really sad that they let it go like this so that they just wondered. And I mean, they're still going to wonder and this isn't really going to ever answer anything because the only people who really know where Barbara are Barbara and my dead brother. Cause, cause I know he had something to do with it. I just, I feel bad for him. I do. Nobody should have to go through life wondering where their kid is or wondering where their sister is. Now I just kind of wish somebody would have taken the time to maybe talk to me when I was 14. I asked Laura if she knew anything about Stacy's last few days of life when he was in Montana. Yeah, all I know, I heard that he had gone through some Indian reservation that's close to wherever Malta, Montana is, and had gotten beaten up or something and robbed. I don't know how true it was, but that's what I heard listening to conversations. And then the question I have, though, is like, not for you so much, but I'm thinking out loud here. If he didn't have a vehicle, you know, they met in downtown Williston. If he if he had to get rid of a body, I wonder how he did it. Yeah, I I don't know, but I know that, again, he was very intelligent. We talk about this every once in a while. I mean, we bring it up when I talk about my brother. I usually always tell people that that's why I think he killed himself. I want to say a couple of things here. I looked up the name of that game, finally, that I mentioned earlier. It's called Telephone. One kid whispers something in the ear of the kid next to him. That kid whispers what they heard to the next, and around it goes, around the circle. And in the end, the original message is morphed and jumbled. There are some things I wonder about in this story, if I got them right. Not so much if I heard them correctly, but over these 40 years, I'm sure a lot of facts got mixed up. Here's some things I wonder about. Barbara's sister, Kathy, told me that she had heard from law enforcement that Stacy was ruled out or cleared of this crime. I'm not sure how accurate that could possibly be. I'm not questioning Kathy's honesty or even her memory so much as just stating that it's been 40 years and facts get jumbled. If Stacy Werder was cleared of this crime, I'm absolutely flabbergasted at this point, and I'd love to learn how he was cleared. Maybe the current detective working on this case can set this straight for us, and I'll let you know the answer in an update episode. Another one I wonder about is this. Stacy's sister, Laura, just told us she doesn't really feel like her mother was ever spoken to by law enforcement. Again, I'm not questioning Laura's honesty or her memory either. I just feel somehow that this can't possibly be true. Could it? In fact, I'm going to send another email to the Williston Police Department and ask that question of the detective. Did law enforcement speak with Stacy Werder's parents, and when? What I'm trying to say, I suppose, is that I've done my utmost to get the facts right in this story. I'm sure there are some inaccuracies, and I'd like to clear those up if I can. However, I'm just working with what I have and what I've had available to me up until this point. Good morning. I woke up to the following email from a librarian in Malta, Montana. 
I spoke with her a few days ago and asked her if she might do some research for me about Stacy Werder's arrest and suicide. I thought she might find some local newspaper articles not available to me online at newspapers.com. This is what she wrote. Hi, James. This is all we could find in the newspaper. Look through all of 1981 from July to December. Hope this helps your research. Janine Brookie, Library Director, Phillips County Library, Malta, Montana. Janine's research was helpful. She included two articles in the email. On page one of the Phillips County News for the date of July 23, 1981, Janine found this article with headline, Suicide in County Jail. In the second paragraph, it says Stacy D. Werder, 21, of Wairika, California, was arrested the night of July 15th at the Villa Theater in Malta. And then it goes on to say this. Werder had been arrested on a similar charge in Glasgow on June 12th and been released from serving a 10-day sentence on June 21st. Malta, Montana, where Stacy died, is 215 miles, or 350 kilometers, west of Williston, along U.S. Highway 2. That town of Glasgow, where he spent 10 days in jail, is between Williston and Malta. Now knowing that Stacy hitchhiked a lot, I'm less certain he was out in Montana with a crew. He might have just been thumbing his way west, perhaps getting the heck out of Williston. I will note, though, that on Stacy's death certificate, his occupation is listed as laborer in the oil fields. The other article Janine found was from the front page of the Phillips County News for the date of November 18, 1981. This article basically states that a coroner's inquest had been held, and a six-member jury concluded that Stacy's death was suicide by hanging and that no criminal means were involved. Interesting to note in this article is that Stacy is referred to as a transient. Thank you, Janine, at the Phillips County Library for your great help. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention earlier was that after I found the photos of Stacy Warder in the Wairika High School yearbook, I sent copies of them to both Kent and Kathy Cotton and Diane Latticer. None of them recognized him, and Kathy said he was definitely not the guy that was sleeping on their couch one day when she came home from school. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I had different plans for episode 5, but after speaking with Stacy's sister, I felt like I wanted to address that right away. There are still things we need to talk about, but I'm not sure we should talk about them here and now in episode 5. The interview with Stacy's sister is just a hard thing to follow. At least it feels that way right now for me. And so, although I know I said there would be five episodes, looks like there will be more episodes this season. I've been told by some listeners after previous seasons that many listeners felt bummed out when the season ends and they wish there was more to listen to, so perhaps this isn't such a bad idea. And so that's what I will do. I'll produce another episode within the next week or two with some of the things we still want to address. For example, you've been hearing me say this for a few episodes now. Still to come on this season of Dakota Spotlight, a better search for Barbara. And then I've played these things. The pieces that I put together are not good, does not end up into a good puzzle. And she kept telling me, I'm going to burn in hell for what I did. And I would ask her, Mom, what are you talking about? And she'd get really mad at me. We will get to these things in the next episode in a few days. I'm still going to release the first five episodes, including this one, over a five-day period. The 40th anniversary of Barbara's disappearance is coming up here, and I want to get this story out there now, partially in the name of recognizing and remembering Barbara Louise Cotton. 
But there is something I still want to talk about here and now. I've mentioned before that I was going to make a possibly unconventional suggestion to Kent and Kathy about how they might pursue getting more of the truth about what happened to their sister. So here goes. We might never find out exactly what happened to Barbara. If she was murdered in Williston, we still don't know where she is or what was done with her body. We might not ever find some answers, but if Kent and Kathy want to learn as much as possible about their sister, what the police did and didn't do, who they spoke to and who they didn't speak to, I do have a suggestion. I believe the only way for them to get the truth is to personally read their sister's case file or let someone like myself do it. I realize this doesn't sound very unconventional, but stick with me here. It's coming. There will be one file in the hands of the North Dakota Bureau of Criminal Investigation, and there will be another file at the Williston Police Department, most likely in the detective's office. Instead of patiently asking questions of law enforcement and then waiting and wondering, as I've been doing, your best way of understanding this whole story is to read her file from beginning to end. You can start by asking BCI and Williston PD to allow you to do this. Because you're family members, they might just grant this to you. If so, that's great. If, however, they deny you access to the file, then my unorthodox recommendation is this. You should point out to both of these agencies that your sister was declared legally deceased. Thank them for their kind efforts and then ask them to close her case. How will that help you? Well, according to the North Dakota Open Records Laws, documents pertaining to active and ongoing investigations need not be disclosed to the public. In other words, as long as your sister's case is open and ongoing, they don't legally have to reveal anything. While this law is for obvious and good reasons, this is also a potential loophole which allows law enforcement to block transparency of government and avoid public scrutiny. Basically, if they just keep a case open and supposedly active, they'll never legally be required to release anything. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going on in this particular situation. On the one hand, it's admirable that the Williston PD are still trying to find out what happened to Barbara, despite her legal status of deceased. We've learned that this is not the norm, and in some ways it would be a sad thing to have Barbara's case closed. But on the other hand, if BCI, for example, still considers it open and active, why have they never located and spoken with Stacy's sister? In 2004, Kathy was told this by the investigator assigned to the case in Williston. 2004, he said, Kathy, this case should be closed, but we're never going to close it. But Kent and Kathy, please remember also, I am not a lawyer. Do not take my word for all of this. I would feel terrible if this backfired, if your sister's case was closed and you still didn't get full access to your sister's files. Any pro bono lawyers out there willing to help Barbara's siblings to explore this option? If so, please reach out to me at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. Moving forward with our better search for Barbara, I'd like to come in contact with some people. Please contact me if any of the following applies to you or someone you know. You worked with Stacy Werder in North Dakota or Montana, or you traveled on the road with him and knew his habits. You worked at the Plainsman Building in 1981 in Williston. You worked in sanitation in Williston in 1981, driving garbage trucks, etc. And finally, you were a victim of a sex crime or sexual harassment around 1981 in Williston.
And of course, I want to hear from all of you, your thoughts, questions, ideas, tips, leads, or feedback about this story. Email me at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. I'd also like to literally hear from listeners all around the world, and then play some of your feedback in a future bonus or update episode. You can simply record your audio message on your smartphone and then email it to me. Another method is to leave a voicemail at the following number, 701-595-0727. I'll repeat that in a second. Tell us what you liked about the story or Dakota Spotlight, where you live, how you listen, and any thoughts on Barbara Cotton or anything else you'd like to share. The voicemail number is 701-595-0727. And again, my email is dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. I'm going to leave you now with the following from a conversation with Kent Cotton, Barbara's brother. Again, this is not the end. I'll be back in a week or two with Carrie Abbey and others as we continue on this better search for Barbara. If you could say something to Barbara today, what would you want to say to her? Mm, I missed her and we missed so much stuff. Not been able to do so much stuff over the last 40 years. You know, know, I could have watched her kids grow up or... That kind of stuff. You know, kind of husband she would have had. Yeah. Kind of family life. Just missed opportunity. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, James Wallner. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. Some music in this season, including the song you're listening to now, provided by North Dakota-born, former Wishick area resident and UND grad Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his seemingly infinite number of musical bands and projects. This band is named Wowza in Kalamazoo. We also heard a little from his bands Out and the Hollis Group. Search for Wowza, Out, and the Hollis Group on Bandcamp.com or see the links in the show notes. Thanks much, Isaac and friends. To learn more about Missing Kids, check out the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org. To contact me, shoot me an email at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. If you're loving this season, please tell your friends in real life and on social media and give me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And why not come and join us at the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Season 5, A Better Search for Barbara. Be safe, stay warm, and see you next time.
Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.